everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Orange Eagle victory. Happy Syracuse basketball is back, and uh, don't know when the ACC, obviously, um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, just when, uh, just when everybody thought Syracuse basketball was dead, they decided to... Uh, to start playing well um, against BC is one thing, um, but against Virginia over the weekend is another. Uh, it's I, I'm not going to start, you know, writing the comeback story yet. It's uh, and, and like you and I have pointed out, this team's going to need to win a hell of a lot of games to even get back in the conversation. Um, beating Virginia on the road is one of those games that helps you do that quicker. Uh, I think that in general, though, as you starting to figure some things out defensively uh, that really give me some encouragement that maybe they don't necessarily need to rely solely on just a ton of threes dropping every game to win. Cause early on in the season, at least that was really the only way they were going to pull off a victory. Yeah. It was especially nice to that one over Virginia considering how the season opened against them. And I think both of us were pretty much cautioning people not to like freak out too much. Um, as it turns out, Virginia is not as good uh, they're very good defensively. They're just not as I think they're number two and two in ten palm, and that dropped from number one after our game. Uh, so thank horrendous you, on offense though. They're really bad offensively. They just don't have like they have a couple decent guys. Like they have guys who would be like their number three or four in these like vintage Tony Bennett Virginia teams. They do not have like your Malcolm Brogdon or your uh, your Kyle guy. Like they're just missing legit like offensive firepower all over they're woefully inefficient too i think that the 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 key in previous years was that this virginia team was the slowest team in the country which fine if which which they still are yeah they still are (laughs) they had been for the last four seasons but slowest team in the country is fine if you are a a brutally efficient offensive squad and like they were for much of you know 16 17 18 19 seasons like were that for the most part um, this season, they're, I think, outside the top 200 in efficiency, um, according to Ken Palm. And that's how you get this. That's how you get something more resembling what Syracuse has been in recent years of, of a very bad offensive team that plays slow and tries to drag teams into the mud versus one like we saw with Virginia, where Virginia would just they would limit possessions of the opposing team, but also do the most with their own possessions. So, you know, you're kind of seeing the you know snapback for virginia that doesn't mean this is like a permanent thing and virginia screwed it just means that this specific team you know is just not able to deliver um on the offensive end the same way previous ones have and that's kind of unfortunately what you get when no matter who you are when you have a team that wins a championship and, and loses a bunch of guys um to the nba is that sometimes you know the the depth's just not ready to necessarily take over immediately but they might be down the road yeah i agree with that it's uh it, it, in all, in any case, I think just getting two back-to-back wins here in this muddled ACC, uh, let's do it. Even if like you know Virginia isn't Virginia this year and BC is you know pretty bad, um, getting on the right track, especially after how the Notre Dame Virginia Tech games went, uh, is great. But it, it also makes those two games more frustrating because we're so close to being uh, like twelve and five and and only one loss in the ACC and and like just how much better would, it, would we look? Obviously, it doesn't solve for our non-conference issues, but. Um, I think you could then really start to paint the picture of like, okay, this team was a mess in non-conference. They figured some things out. They're starting to stretch their rotation out a little bit. Thank God we can talk about that in a bit. Um, at long last, like, uh, Gary has figured himself out like pretty well over the last five games. So like, I think we're, we're just like five points from like that narrative really taking hold versus now we're, we're still in the, in the building mode. Um, and it kind of goes for naught if we don't get this win 
uh, at Virginia Tech on uh, what day is that? Saturday. Saturday. Um, I think that game become. I mean, was already pretty essential, and the Notre Dame game after it is pretty essential. Um, win those nets too, and I think we can really start to have some discussions about like, hey, this upward trajectory is real. It's not just like you know we're going to do a five hundred in the ACC, winning and losing games by a couple points. Like this team does look, I and mean, it might look now because even before today, I forget which. ACC network person had us at like number eight in the power rankings, which seemed ridiculous, but I, I think it's easy for us to get kind of insular and not realize that like the conference as a whole is pretty bad. Um, it's not crazy to think that like we could finish top sits, top eight in the league. Um, and that might not be good enough for the tournament. And still not maybe the <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like I mean, almost I any think, other year would be. Oh, it'd be like top sits in the ACC. When was the last time the number six team didn't make it? Like maybe there was like a weird, like NC State scenario where they finished there but didn't, you know, have other stuff. But um, generally, if any team speaking, did it, it was State. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a State thing. But like, I think just generally, at least you're then putting yourself in the conversation. Um, I think uh, the ACC is pretty. It's probably as bad this year as it's, as it's been since before the before the merger, probably. The merger of the Big East uh, Conference realignment, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. Um, just very, very strange year for the league, but it was like very easy for us to say, like, oh, God, we're so bad. But then you realize, like, North Carolina is going to be playing on the Tuesday in the tournament. Like, they're they're going to pack, pack the Greensboro Coliseum at noon on Tuesday, whatever, March, whatever the day that is. Um, like, Notre Dame, we're their only win. I don't think they're terrible, but they're not good. Like, Pitt's what they've been the last couple of years. Uh, like, everyone's just a mess. So, um, you know, if we if we could go on a run here and, like, finish top five, it might just be, like, too bold for the NCAA tournament to, like, put in a, what, a four, uh, have a four-bit ACC. Like, that's just hard to imagine even in a really weird down year. Because, like, even look at the Big Ten. The Big Ten's not very good. Like, Ohio State looked like they were going to be the team. They've, I think they're 0 for, they're, they're 0 and 5 in 2020 already or something like that. Um, it's just, uh, like, the Big 12's good, but the SEC's probably decent. But there just aren't that many good teams nationally. So if you can at least like claw yourself back into the conversation, which still I think we've talked about probably requires 22, 23 wins based on our non-conference resume. Like it's not over. It's just uh, it's it's still a pretty daunting task. But I think we can kind of see the path here because there's not a lot to be afraid of on the schedule. Yeah, that's definitely the weird thing. Um, also, motion to call the uh, ACC uh, rating of the Big East the merger. Uh, going forward, just to drive I, I all the <laughs> go back to the Big East lunatics nuts. <laughs> I called it the merger, and then I realized like merger is a little strong for like them poaching. Uh, eh, eh. Almost, almost half the conference is from the. Big I guess. East. I guess. Yeah. Well, if it all happened at once, I think it would be a, a right. more fair. It's a, it's a gradual merger. It was a. It was a gradual merger. It was a. It was a, exactly it was a an acquisition with a with a with an option to buy the rest later. And uh, they did well. They bought the the, the rest that matters. Uh, yeah, we're, sorry. We're, ACC is basically owned by ESPN anyway, so this is a Disney property. That's exactly what happened here. Ba- basically, I mean, I think yeah. If you add in the Miami uh, BC Vatech element, it's it's essentially a merger, and we cut some dead weight, and they went off to other places. Um, shout out to West Virginia. Um, <laughs> if we want to trade Wake for West Virginia, that's fine. Uh, I feel weird about doing that family wise, but. I just want to, I don't know. I, I guess it probably it would be it improve us our, our league, but it just it wouldn't feel right. I don't think. I mean, it wouldn't feel right overall. It would feel also, right for Syracuse fans. Also, Wake's not going to the Big Twelve. <laughs> no, Wake's going to the AAC, and they're gonna 
finish behind Tulane. Oh, if Wake somehow got booted out of the ACC, they would go. I think they'd probably go like Patriot League. Like they'd probably just drop football. Oh boy. Or just go FCS. Like what? What would they? What they wouldn't want to go. They wouldn't want to go uh, to any of the other leagues. I don't think. No, maybe I mean, they just go independent and try to do like. But they don't even have the fan base for that. Like, yeah, it's, not that UConn does, but we'll get to scheduling in the second half of this. <laughs> Speaking episode. of UConn, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna compliment them. I think uh, probably. Uh, weird, weird podcast, guys. <laughs> already a pretty weird podcast. Uh, yeah, like in, in the game of like, what if for Syracuse basketball this season could prove to be one of the what ifiest? Um, because realistically, while we're two and three, we could easily be. Well, not sorry. Now there were three and three. We could easily be five and one. And if you look at the rest, of the you know schedule here, like Virginia Tech, like I don't think we're going to win that game, but that's not a sure loss. Notre Dame, another one, not a sure loss. Pitt, Clemson, like SU could have started off this season nine and one without much trouble um, in league play, which would have been enormous. That would have pretty much erased all of the problems in the uh, the non conference schedule, unless you like completely crater in the second half. Um, that that back half of the schedule that now looks pretty that looked pretty daunting. Um, pretty much after Louisville, we're we're, we're not in bad shape at all. Um, you know, we again a- after that Clemson game that I mentioned, we get from February first through nineteenth, Duke, Wake, NC State, Florida State, Louisville. Um, I think you have to find a way to get two of those uh, five games. But then after that, um, Georgia Tech, Pitt, North Carolina, Boston College, Miami. Again, like I, it, it, this is what the frustrating part about the ACC this year is that SU has a really conceivable chance to win a lot of these games, and it might not matter unless we win at least two, maybe three in the ACC tournament. Yeah, it's it's to the point where like your resume is just not going to be that good unless it's just going to be very, very hollow because the ACC is bad, and it's not the situation you ever want to put yourself in. So you're relying on kind of lazy bracket like bracket making slash like narrative driving which i you know may or may not help uh, i don't know i i would be afraid of the narrative becoming a major factor like oh su's looked good the last two months but also su keeps on getting in off the bubble do we want to like give them this again like i just think it's a it's a it shouldn't matter like that's not how they're supposed to be doing this but like there's always these um inherent biases that play that come into play um and I don't want to put it up to chance. I, so I think, I don't know. I think we could probably afford two losses to the the ranked teams in the ACC. If you win almost all the rest, and maybe one other weird loss that gets you to what twenty? Where we? What would we? Yeah. What would we be going into the ACC tournament? Uh, twenty two and ten, twenty three and ten. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, well, it would be twenty. 21 and 10. 21 and 10. 21 and 10, I like, doesn't cut it for me. I think then at that point, you have to not just get to 23 wins, but I think you need to get 23 wins. And at least one of those has to be a pretty big, like, get. Yeah. I think, like, if you beat Duke, maybe, maybe you're in okay shape then. But the, that's the problem. It's like the schedule is really a gift and a curse because there are plenty of wins on the board. They're just like, they don't mean much because these teams aren't good. Right. <laughs> like, the Virginia game is really like Virginia, Louisville, Florida State are like the three games that like get you into a tournament because they're all road games. Yes. And in like a normal AC year, even if we have the same abysmal start to the season that we've had, like you, you, and, but we start playing better, you look at your schedule and a normal year, you're like, oh, at Virginia Tech, that's an awesome chance for a big win at Notre Dame. Aside from last year, that's a chance for a big win. Uh, versus Duke, versus State, like you have 
you know, more than half your teams are chances to beat other tournament teams. And that just doesn't really exist here. So like, yes, you could rack up 12, 13 conference wins, but it's just going to be very tenuous. Um, There might not be a quality home win in that group. Like that's the thing. Like if they lose to Duke and NC state, like you might not have a quality home win really at all. Um, Yeah. I mean, looking down the list, we lost to tech, which tech looks good. So, you know, it's one point or four points. And if you get the road win, that helps. But Pitt, Duke is the only one, really. State might be okay. Um, but then it's Georgia Tech and UNC, who are both, like, maybe the two worst teams in the conference. Um, but they're down there with Wake. So it's uh, – well, Georgia Tech is 3-3, and three, but they're, I don't think they're very good. Um, yeah, your best home win if you don't get Duke or maybe State is I, – I honestly don't know. I don't know who from our non-conference would even be the the, the team. Right. That's the problem here is that, yeah, like you, the only way you're getting in with this home slate is if you figure out a way to, to snag maybe that NC state or Louisville game. And then on top of that, take two in the, in the ACC tournament so that you can sort of, while, while, while your overall resume is going to look great. If it's a soft enough bubble, you can point to the fact that you, you know, in the second half of the year, you won like five of seven away from the dome or something like that. And five, like whatever that number is, but if you can point to that and point to, hey, look at these neutral site wins, look at these road wins over quality teams like Virginia and then Louisville slash NC State, like maybe that's enough. But again, a lot depends on the bubble and just kind of where everything else is. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna convince myself we're there yet, but I think that there's, I, I think that there's like an outside shot because of the Virginia game and only because of the Virginia game. If that game was at home, even I would say we're still so far out of it. It's not even worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, that it's almost like not comforting, but it helps that the cards got, we stacked the cards against ourselves so hard in the non-conference that I'm just not going to get that worked up about it until like, we actually start to see like, Oh, this is a legitimate possibility right now. There's so much up in the air. And if this team reverts back to where it was just two or three weeks ago, um, and we're not shooting, you know, 45% from three all the time. Like, it's just not that worth worrying about. So you just kind of go back to like, all right, well, let's see the kids play. And I'm still here for let's see the kids play. Um, and luckily, I think Beheim has kind of found that. Like, he's starting to, it seems like he's starting to realize, like, we're not going to lose games because uh, Howard Washington gets eight minutes, which is nice. Yeah, I'll take that. Honestly, the, the fact that we're actually seeing the bench um, in some way, shape, or form, I think it, it is a godsend. Having you know five guys play forty minutes a night is is you know the the, the Bayheim fever dream. But realistically, there's just not a lot of we don't have the guys to do it. Um, most teams don't, and and I think that it's it's good to see at least guys get I mean, again get the young guys minutes so that next year is not a complete disaster, no matter what happens this year. But also just for this season. Make sure you don't run everybody that we have into the ground so that you don't have a situation like last year where, you know, Tyus Battles like completely hobbled because he's played two seasons averaging like 39 and a half minutes a night. Like they, 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 this isn't sustainable. And, and you know what? Like not to, to play the like Bayheim can't recruit anymore fire alarms, but at the same time, a major concern uh, is, is how that looks to players and how that looks to, to high school and AAU coaches, um, parents. That, that that see you know talented kids again like battle uh like Brissett, um like some other players in recent vintage have to get run into the ground and like even if they do make it out and and, and look like somebody that can play in the nba 
like they've also got a lot of mileage on, on the tires already. Like when they get to the NBA, even if it's a 2021, like parents and kids think about that. Parents and kids think about, you know, you know, how is this coach going to not just treat me as a person, but how they're going to treat me as a future professional and, and, and view my career development. And, and I think that like, it's not that Jim can't do that. Uh, I just think that, you know, playing five guys 40 minutes a night is, is not a sign that you, that you can or, or want to do that. Yeah. It's uh it's just better all around, like, especially in this, in this age that we're in and it's not a criticism at all. Like we've talked about this at length, but like guys are transferring more frequently. You need to give them a reason to stick around and like, whether or not you agree with that, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, so like if, if Howard Washington or Bryson Dudin is like not going to play at all, I find it hard to blame them for leaving our, our school and going somewhere else where they're going to get at least some run. Um, even if that like really negatively impacts our depth chart, uh, which it would, um, I would be like, yeah, I get it. Like these guys have a limited amount of time to show what they've got. And obviously not everyone's going to make the NBA. Most of these guys won't, but there's still like overseas opportunities, et cetera, that they want to showcase themselves for. Um, and in years past, like you could, or I don't know if you want to be like a meathead about it, and you want to say tough it out, like that's fine, but you're not going to, you, ultimately it's not going to work for you um, with how things are going right now. So yeah, I just don't think it takes that much to say, like, we're dedicated to developing you as a player. These guys aren't, like, most, I'd say 95% of these players understand what they are at this moment, at least somewhat realistically. And I don't think most of them think they need to be playing 30 minutes a night if they if it's clear they're not the guy. Just show them that they're, like, you're willing to put them in and see what they can do every game and 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 give them something just give them the, their chance to to make some sort of impression and i think we've gotten more of that the last couple of games obviously virginia um garrier who's really come on strong even when he's not storing his his rebounding and his presence on the defensive interior is really really good for us um is now playing upwards of 20 minutes a night uh we were talking about in slack like i kind of want to see him kind of flip with barama um or you know have dolge move inside just have those two starting the game because uh barama like you know he's five fouls uh it's just not giving you that much more um you need him to play because we only have so much size but um just seeing quincy expand his role uh is has been very nice um hopefully edwards considered to continues to play a bit and then i thought it was great to see bryson today and i thought he looked good like the best he's looked uh in a while is mostly because he hasn't played in a while but also it's bc also it's bc and that's that's you know <laughs> like hot garbage they're not good, but um, it was just refreshing to, to see like, hey, we're not going to roll, you know, even Elijah, I think. Uh, yeah, Elijah only played 31 minutes tonight. So it, it was uh, it was nice to just, you know, not hammer everyone to the ground. Marek led the team with 38 minutes and and I'm less worried about Marek doing that than like, like I think Buddy and Gerard especially would benefit from not having, you know, 40 minutes of jumpers to hoist up and getting their lights back under them when they're, you know, shooting so much volume. And it's, I mean, they've been great the last two games. So yeah, it's uh, the last two nights have been refreshing. Um, even if we don't end up making the tournament, like it's nice to just see this for a while there. Like we were, I think we were all worried about like, oh, are we going to win 15 games this year? And now like, I'm, I feel pretty good about like at least being competitive in the ACC, even if that's like competitive in a bad ACC, it's better than nothing. Yeah, I agree. I, I know the joke among UConn fans even last week was that we couldn't make the NIT, which yes, we can because they don't have a, uh, a limit on on only uh, above 500 teams. So if SU is in the NIT, you can almost guarantee that uh, that UConn, a team that also might not even make the NIT, um, would be on the opposite line. 
um, if they're if they're anywhere near the uh, the conversation. I, I think that in general, um, this is going to be a slog. Like, like I mentioned when we went through the schedule, like this is going to be a slog. This is going to be uh, touch and go at times. But I think we are, like you mentioned, we're putting some of the pieces together. I think that Buddy Beheim's starting to figure out his role a little bit. Uh, I think this team struggles without Elijah Hughes on his game. I think you know Elijah was out for a little bit tonight, and and things uh, really kind of like started to skid off the rails a bit. Um, I think Joe Girard's going to come along a lot on defense. I think on offense, he's starting to make some better decisions. But realistically, like we said at the beginning of the season, like expecting Girard to play hero ball or Bayhan to play hero ball, um, or even Elijah to always play hero ball, like that doesn't work. And and having a more team oriented approach on offense is what's going to get this group. Um, you know, looking more like not even an NCAA tournament team, but just more like a, a, a top half of the um, ACC team. So I'm encouraged, again, the fact that we're getting guys like Gary A. Like I know a couple of weeks ago, you and I talked about, you know, Gary A not really getting on the floor as much and, and, and really just being wasted away as a talent. And since then, I feel like he's been able to play his way into a bigger role. And that's awesome. Um, if they, if he ends up playing his way, um, into NBA draft conversations, fine, whatever. Um, I'm not going to concern myself with that for now. I'm more concerned with is Syracuse going to win games. And if Gary, a playing 20 plus minutes a night is the easiest way to get us there, then great. I mean, I, I, th- I think it's not lost in NBA scouts at this point either. You know, how a guy who did get opportunities with SU from the beginning from Canada, um, in the form of O'Shea Brissett, um, has managed to turn himself into a pretty capable, uh, role player now for the Toronto Raptors. So, you know, n- never say never when you're looking at uh, players, you know, NBA potential. And especially when you have someone who's like a, a real physical specimen on paper, at least uh, like Gary A is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I, I'm less excited about the fact that Virginia lost to Florida State tonight. Um, that's certainly not going to help us out. Uh, if Virginia free falls somehow, then I think just erase everything I said about our uh, chances to go on a run. Yeah, that's totally right. Um, and it's just nice to like, I think get people off of the ledge where I think we firmly were before that Virginia game. Um, Planted there. Oh. Actually. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I think, I think most of the fan base either resigned themselves to, to this season was going to be uh, horrendous or, 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 or just were so dug in there that you couldn't even wedge optimism into the conversation. <laughs> That's also true. It's been a weird year. Very, very weird. Uh, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor? And we're back. Uh, I know we've like alluded to the Boston College game, Dan, but why don't we mention it explicitly here? Um, the game was explicit, uh, depending on your rating system. Uh, Syracuse won 76 to 50. They were up by 25 at the halftime. Uh, BC was laying bricks at a level that few have done perhaps ever. Um, they looked very bad from the floor. They looked better in the second half, but it's also because SU was just kind of, you know, going through the paces and coasting to a, a very, you know, sure win. Obviously, good for them for scoring 37 in the second half, but we scored 38, so it didn't harm anyone. Buddy Beheim, another like weird, like weird, like stunningly good performance. Uh, when he's hot, he's hot. That's kind of it. Uh, four for seven from three, nine to 17 from the floor. You and I brought it up last year that when Buddy um, is mixing in, you know, twos into his repertoire, he's so much more dangerous because he's a lot harder to defend. Um, Elijah Hughes, somebody else who, when threes weren't falling, he's one of five from outside. Um, he managed to get to the line a few times. Uh, he managed to hit seven of 14 shots overall. So like while Syracuse is going to be a three point shooting team this year, 
the fact that you have your two best three-point shooters um, able to kind of play some inside-outside games, I think that's going to help um, significantly. And again, like we saw last year, like Buddy was at his best when, because he, he can pull up pretty well um, from, you know, 10 to 15 feet and, and hit with some pretty good accuracy. So if he can get, if he can find a way to fool defenders and pull them out, um, that can either lead to him being more of a distributor or if he's driving the lane and being distract and becomes a distraction as a potential distributor, because people don't think he's going to um, shoot from inside the, uh, the stripe. Then what you have is, you know, somebody who can deceive. We saw it against, I think was Pitt last year where he played really well from inside the three point arc. Uh, you mean in, the ACC, ACC tournament? I don't remember what his breakdown was of inside and outside the arc. He had like his best game. Um, yeah. and he pretty much is the reason we won that game. Um, yeah, no, I think he's, he's, He's definitely not only a three-point – obviously, his primary a- asset is that he shoots the three really well, but he's dangerous enough off of, like, that quick dribble or that quick, like uh, – what's that, like, the off-the-nail screen that they've been running mm-hmm. for him, uh, that little curl. Obviously, sometimes it doesn't fall, but, like, just the threat of having that floater from, from like, 12 feet out that he's been shooting a, a pretty decent amount. I think it's probably his, like, second – I would guess that's his second most common shot beyond the three. Um is is just enough to like you, you can't just uh, jam him and expect nothing to happen, which uh, is always like a concern when you have like a dedicated three point shooter. Um, so no, I think I think Buddy's been, I mean, obviously a lot better these last couple games than he's been before, especially you know the the overtime of Virginia, the game he was pretty bad, but um, he's shown he's a little more versatile. I think he's drawn these uh, Trevor Tooney comparisons, and they're you know for a million reasons. Um, I think he. I don't know. I think they're they're kind of apt, except he's uh, obviously bigger. He can shoot over more people, but also um, I, I just feel like he's hot more often, which is nice. And he's not like totally dependent on blowing up in a game. Um, he will knock down like a shot here and there when he's not on. Um, the defense continues to be kind of an issue. I just think like him and Gerard is, is never going to be an ideal Syracuse backcourt. Um, but if they shoot like they've been shooting the last, uh, obviously for Gerard, I think he's been a little more consistent. Um, over the course of the full year and buddy's just like a more blow up threat, but um, that's going to make up a lot for a lot of it, uh, especially. And I, I do think like they'll get better, especially Gerard, you know, hasn't been playing the zone that long. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I know somebody said in Slack uh, that we could maybe throw out the idea down the road of a uh, buddy at the three, which isn't the worst idea. If we have a really good defender um, at one of the guard spots, We've we've seen like like Routens played the three a lot in twenty in two thousand nine, um, when you had Johnny and and, and right. Evendorf when you rolled at that. I mean, it's not again, it's not ideal, but um, I don't know. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to know how he would do back there. It's just such a different role, and it's tough to to not. I mean, I know, I know people have floated the idea of putting Elijah up top, and I think Elijah's probably our best defender up top, but he's so uh, valuable on the wing coming off as that weak side shot blocker, um, right. kind of like the Wes Johnson role. Um, and he's a good rebounder from there. It's it's tough to to sacrifice that. Although I'd be interested in seeing it. It's unfortunate that we don't have, uh, we didn't do more of it um, <laughs> in the non-conference, but we were busy losing games. <laughs> yeah, this is, what, this is what normal teams do. Uh, why don't we uh, we'll do a little halftime here? Before we jump into some football stuff in the back half of this uh, podcast. So, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, again, not a huge beer week for me. Not a big, huge beer year for me so far, um, which is weird. I have I have a fridge stocked with it. I just just been, you know, not drinking very much lately. Um, I did have uh, an Elvis juice from Brewdog 
uh, which I think is the Columbus, Ohio brewery, which I had not had before. Uh, super, super, super citrusy IPA. Um, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. So that was like the only real new thing. Um, hopefully my, my beer uh, intake or at least like trying new things will, will check back up. I just haven't had the opportunity so far this year. Fair enough. Uh, I had a bunch in the last week or so. Uh, Steve from the blog actually sent a bunch of stuff over to complete a trade that we've been working on for a few months. Sent over some Hill Farmstead, Double Nelson, uh, some Treehouse Julius, uh, Tired Hands, Alien Church, which I had last had like about three years ago, and it was delicious then. It was also delicious now. Also had some very green from uh, Treehouse. It was really good. Um, day after my birthday, went over to uh, Highland Park, over in uh well they have their their main area in highland park in la and then they also have their chinatown tasting room which is pretty great um so i had their bonkers ipa their sorry dude hoppy pilsner that i grabbed a crowler of um i had their uh, folded page um, pale ale hello la which is one of my favorite west coast ipas out here um premium weed another uh west coast ipa and america's preference um, a Pilsner of theirs that was kind of a take on just like your standard um, kind of like, you know, stock Pilsner um, that you could get at any random bar. And so I thought it was pretty good. Uh, going to Chicago this weekend. So we'll definitely have a, a lot more new and, and interesting stuff to share too. Oh, very nice. Enjoy. Will do. So football, why don't we, why don't we talk coordinators first? I feel like the scheduling stuff might go off the rails uh, <laughs> as it usually does. Also, shout out to uh, to Lane for the uh, the awesome Pelican baseball caps that I saw on uh, the interwebs today. You guys, yeah. you guys win the merch game as per usual. I mean, there was never a doubt. No, never. Uh, Dan, uh, we know that Zach Arnett is coming over from San Diego State as defensive coordinator. You and I floated him in like Slack conversations, like way back in like late November, early December. Um, I just, which was probably in large part because you're you're have the San Diego State connection. I never, I don't, I think I assume it was you because I would never would have thought of him there until the Rocky Lawn stuff came down. But even then we thought it was going to be Rocky Lawn, Rocky Lawn. Well, just never. Yeah. I mean, Arnett, it just, he was, he's a New Mexico guy um, who's worked with Long for like at this point, almost a decade. It never seemed like he was a realistic one. He was just somebody who maybe fit the bill um, if we could pay him enough to leave San Diego. So I think that was a great get, to be honest. Uh, curious who or what he brings along um, on staff. Uh, Steve did a really great breakdown of what um, the three-three-five defense that he's going to be bringing with him looks like. And I think most appealing to me is that it literally seems to fit perfectly what Syracuse's personnel is right now and a couple of years into the future. And, you know, gets, I think, to, to me, probably absolutely critically, gets guys like Tyrell Richards and Trill Williams two kind of tweeners that we have in the defense, but two of the most talented players on the defense, nonetheless um, gets them on the field more and, and, and plays to the strengths that we have right now of, you know, ball hawking and attacking uh, with, you know, various blitz combinations. Yeah. I think if you can play to your strengths, I think you're always better off doing that than trying to really shoot, like shoehorn in uh, talent to where it doesn't fit. Um, and, and, honestly getting uh, the most defensive bats on the field, or at least like getting those key defensive bats in position to make plays, uh, having Sisto and Trill, especially in position to make plays is like the ideal. And you work from there and going down to uh, three base linemen when we are going to be short on linemen, it also could end up being ideal. Um, 
obviously you you don't just have that like we saw on monday night with clemson like they were playing a lot of three base linemen which is not their thing at all and obviously it only worked to you know a certain extent but that you could probably say more about lsu in that regard um but like being multiple uh isn't just like a coachy coach buzzword like it is i think even more important now with uh spread offenses and the different like dynamics at play in college football um to be able to kind of move things around and, and having it does sound like our net is able to kind of move the pieces around and, and make things work um suiting the talent and, and obviously san diego state's defense defense which we've talked about at length now just because of the rocky lawn rumors um has been really good uh and has to deal with a lot of different types of attacks in the mountain west i mean they face air force every so often they have boise state they have wyoming um a lot of just very different uh, looks on offense. So it's not like he hasn't experienced um, a lot of the different things that he'll see in the ACC. It's a different talent level, but um, I do think the Mountain West is like a pretty good training ground for a, a young coordinator. Yeah. And like guys experience, like we've talked about, you know, San Diego state should be a better uh, recruiting hotbed than they are, but for the most part, they've been able to get more out of less and, and, you know, having undersized players and they've gotten some guys drafted at various positions on defense. Like that's not really something Syracuse has been able to do a ton of, of late. Um, you know, obviously your, your Chandler and Art Jones is aside. Um, it's definitely been a, a weak point for SU in recent seasons. Um, I mean, NFL draft in general has as well, but I, I think that his ability to really kind of mold that mold, the San Diego state team into, into what it became, uh, I think working with Rocky Long like is going to pay some huge dividends. I don't expect a top twenty defense. The, to be honest, this coming year, I don't even expect like something like well, at least according to like you know S and P. I don't expect anything better than maybe like top seventy. But top seventy is going to be a nice improvement, and top seventy is going to be something that you know as long as the offense is is at least marginally improved, um, probably get you over that six seven win hump. No, I agree. Uh, I think. Um... Just like assuming that this wasn't all Rocky Lawn's doing, and that Arnett has picked like some things up over his many, many. I think he's been with him since uh, what oh nine uh, at New Mexico as a player, um, or before that oh nine as a grad assistant. Like it, it just seems like uh, he, in all likelihood, will bring over pretty much similar to what we've gotten from what we've gotten from Rocky. Maybe you know less game experience, but. You know he won't be alone. Uh, it, hopefully, he'll hire some some veteran uh, defensive coaches. Um, I don't know. I just I, I'm I'm very in on this experiment. The the, the biggest question mark is uh, probably in like recruiting and the other ancillary stuff in terms of like he you know has no East Coast experience. He hasn't been east of of New Mexico where he went and played under Lawn. Um, but I think the the hires that now come next will kind of hopefully answer those questions. And I assume Nick Monroe will be sticking around. Uh, just he's the big Florida guy. Um, but in terms of like actual gameplay, like I'm, I'm very in on this hire. I think it's, it's, uh, a necessary divergent, uh, kind of diversion from what we've done. Um, and if you were excited about the lawn thing, like you can make an argument that this will end up working out even better just because he's done to be yonder and more active. And like, I, I don't blame Rocky Lawn for not wanting to be a head coach anymore. I think at a certain point, like you do want to just do some parts of the job, but don't want to do everything that requires to be a college football head coach. Um, that might not have ultimately been the best thing for uh, a young growing Syracuse football program. Even though, you know, maybe he was just here for a year or two and, you know, turns the defense around and then passes it off to someone. Uh, but um, 
you know, just kind of getting the, the younger version uh, could have its own benefits. Now, I, I will say, I think with hiring Arnett, there's a pretty good risk to that, like, a Pac-12 DC job opens up and he leaves. Um, but then you just, you know, hope that you're in a better place than you were, and and that's how these things go, ultimately. Like, you, you can't worry about, like, what the person will do next. Like, just get the best coaches in. Totally. And you know what? Like, if we're going to start showing ourselves a little bit more uh, competitive in terms of salary, like, th- that word will get around. We'll be able to hire, like, well, I think – I think to me, the, the clear sign here was that we're not just going to rest on, you know, high, well, at least it was for a while, not just going to hire on, on the Dino family tree necessarily. But then um, there was word, we still haven't had a confirmation of this um, from Syracuse, that uh, Sterling Gilbert is headed to Syracuse as the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Um, that's going to mean probably at least a change or two. Um, on staff we haven't really heard anything else from SU so it's hard to gauge exactly what those changes will be uh Gilbert uh while Arnett was a divergence from what Dino knew and and, and loved uh, on on the defensive side um Gilbert is everything you know and potentially like um and Dino obviously is very familiar with um on the offensive side um Dan do you feel the same amount of excited about Gilbert do you think that it's just it's a smart hire that keeps the ship running. Like I, I I've seen a lot of different reactions. I think people, I think Syracuse fans are largely positive. I know some, some former stops of, of Gilbert's uh, Texas USF, uh, maybe not as excited ab- about this hire for us. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think we're on defense, like hiring our net signals that you're trying to go in a new direction. Um, and, and, you know, still value the same things, taking the ball away, being aggressive, like, obviously things weren't working. Um, the Gilbert hire is like, we just need to get things back on, on schedule with the offense that we know is like at the, the core of our program. Like Babers wasn't going to turn around tomorrow and go hire, uh, you know, a Paul Johnson. Like he wasn't going to change his offense radically. He wants to get things uh, back in tune at someone who was more experienced calling plays um, and, and kind of just like fresh eyes at the situation, but not necessarily fresh eyes in terms of strategy. Um, I do think like Gilbert's not this, you know, wonderkind who's lit it up everywhere he's been. Uh, he did well at Eastern Illinois. Um, obviously he was there for one year um, at Tulsa. I mean, I went through, I don't know if, did Steve put the, did Steve write his thing yet? Um, yeah. Steve had his thing. A lot of it was kind of what we're talking, we're saying here is that ultimately this isn't necessarily rocking the boat a lot. He, he showed improvement. Um, at the spots that he went to, but not maybe radically. So Uh, I think for the most part, like he's someone who at these, in these various roles, um, he's been plugged in to kind of um, do a certain thing with certain players. And and when, when your personnel fits that like USF didn't necessarily fit it because Quentin flowers was not the type of player um, that you could plug into a Dino Babers offense all the time. And that's not a knock on Quentin flowers. who was a great quarterback. Um, It's just that, trying to force him to be a drop-back quarterback in a spread who's not going to run a ton doesn't necessarily work. I think where he might have fallen short for someone like Flowers, I think he actually could excel um, for somebody like Tommy DeVito, who I think one of the biggest critiques of the team in the last couple of years is the fact that, you know, it was clear that Mike Lynch didn't necessarily have the the, the play-calling magic that, that Sean Lewis did, and Sean Lewis's results at Kent State, I think, proved that you know, as well to some extent that, that he was the the bigger mastermind on that front. So 
I, I think Gilbert, you know, not necessarily a mastermind, but someone who might be able to just restore some of the the, the coherence uh, to this offense and play to some of Tommy's strengths. Yeah, and and while like obviously he didn't, you know, saw save Charlie Strong's job at Texas. Um, the offense the year he was at Texas was the best one under Strong. They went five and seven. They were probably should have had a better record than that in terms of like luck Just and the amount of talent that they have on the team. It, that too. <laughs> um, the offenses he ran at USF under Strong, the first two of the three Strong seasons there, were a lot, lot better than the like 108th ranked in terms of SP plus. Um, this year, USF offense after he left to take that McNeese job. Um, I know the McNeese people are super salty about him leaving. I get that. It, you know, it's never, it's probably never ideal to leave after one year. Um, it sounds like they have some weird, like, academic issues that he knew about going in, and and maybe he found those untenable after a year. I'm not going to worry about that that much. He's not our head coach. Uh, he's coming in to call be- better plays and to straighten our offense out and get the most out of Tommy DeVito. Um, so, you know, I get that he's been kind of uh, kind of transient, but, like, you know, go find a coach that at that level that isn't a careerist and isn't constantly trying to move up the ranks. Like it's just not. You can't worry again. Same thing as Arnett. You can't worry about that that much. You're you're going to lose coaches if they do well. Um, if he sucks, he's not going to get more jobs. I I know that he's been moving, but it's not like I don't know. He followed Strong from one one job to the other. I don't think he was going to like jump out of Texas at the first chance he got. Strong got fired, and he followed him and was with him for three years. So I think. Uh, and then he got a head coaching opportunity. So it's it's. I think some of that like narrative around him uh, has been kind of unfair. I uh, I saw some of the McNeese media complaining about him. Like maybe he sets with the media. Hey, guess what? It's Syracuse. Dino Papers doesn't let his board interest talk to the media that much. So that's not ideal. <laughs> but but guess what? I don't think uh, I don't see him. You know, getting in fights with Stephen Bailey in the parking lot too often. So <laughs> like it's it, it's just like. I think a lot of people took things personally with, with maybe how the strong, I, I don't know. The USF stuff was the most confusing to me because like, obviously their offenses weren't great, but they went 10 and two the first year and maybe his play calling was like really holding them back or something, but they were so much worse this year on offense with him gone. Right. Um, and not that I, mean, he was I, like, I don't know what the hell happened there, to be honest. Very year. strange. So yeah, I think it's a fine hire. It's, I think the Arnett one is probably higher ceiling. Uh, I think Gilbert, I feel pretty confident that he will, at least elevate us. Um, Babers is still heavily involved, which is the GPs here. Um, and he knows him like Babers is very comfortable with him. I think saying like defensively, let's get a, a new vision here. And then offensively keeping things kind of in the family while still bringing someone who has now, you know, worked for two other uh, head coaches. One of whom strong, who was like way outside the tree he was coming from uh, is not the worst thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And realistically, like looking at it, from the standpoint of like, you know, Syracuse for the most part has a pretty static coaching situation at all times, at all levels, like assistants don't go anywhere. Head coaches don't go anywhere. Like there's, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of consistency and and it's worth pointing out just for, for everyone concerned that that's not the case in most schools. And it's not the case at at some of the biggest schools actually um, where things become a little bit of a revolving door. Like Syracuse for the most part, just kind of, keeps people around until they're like done, <laughs> like whether by their own accord or by Syracuse's accord, like, like we, we give coaches assistant and head coaches like a pretty long leash to deal with. So like, I think it's just too, that like SU fans in general um, just aren't necessarily used to like seeing a, a revolving door coordinator. And like, 
it happens, it could happen here. If it does, it, it probably means that that our coordinators are doing well and, and, and getting bigger jobs. Hopefully, you know, if if we keep winning with a revolving door, eventually that means that we're winning a lot, we're getting more money, and then you can start retaining guys because we're paying them well. Right now, we're not retaining guys because we're paying them well necessarily. We're retaining guys because of, you know, comfort, system, um, you know, at, at some points, you know, just head coaches sticking around a long time. Like we're not necessarily keeping guys for the reasons that, that like bigger programs keep guys around for a long time. Yeah, that is interesting. And I hadn't thought of it. Um, I can't remember aside from Sean Lewis, who got a head coaching job. I can't remember the last Syracuse assistant that got poached football football. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause realistically, award got fired. Donald got fired. Let's drop the Western Michigan Michigan job after Schaefer after, got fired. Correct. Um, I, can't I mean, all, I mean, I guess all the coaches that were on uh, Schaefer's staff until they were on Doug Marone's staff at, at uh, Buffalo. I guess, yeah, like, yeah, uh, like I mean, that sort of counts, but not really. I mean, that's that's more like them going with the head coach. I don't think that's like exactly what. Like, right. there isn't a lot of like our running backs coach dot poached to no coach running backs. Oh, um, what's his face? Um, Mike Hart. Mike Hart got poached. Good yes, call. Mike Hart did get coached to Indiana. Poached Indiana, yeah. So there's like there's like one that went from assistant to assistant at a quote unquote bigger stool, which right. is just Big Ten more you know deeper pocketbooks. Indeed. Uh, why don't we take another quick break for a sponsor? And we're back to close this out with scheduling talk. Everybody's favorite. Um, Dan, you're not going to believe this, but Syracuse doesn't know how to schedule football. You know. We, we were just talking about Syracuse being consistent with things, and uh, this is one of them. Yeah. Um, as I noted on, uh, I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, it was Tuesday. Um, there are only nine teams available uh, at the G5 ranks that still need a, uh, a Power 5 game or would be scheduling a Power 5 game in some way, shape, or form. Um, those would be Middle Tennessee, UAB, Army, UConn, Kent State, UNLV, Coastal Carolina, Troy, and UL Monroe. Um, on the other side of things, there are nine power five teams looking for a G5 school. Um, this is bad because now we don't necessarily have control over everything. Uh, of course, uh, Syracuse is probably banking on UConn just saying, sure, whatever, uh, because they need the space filled and we'll probably say, sure, whatever for the foreseeable future with them, which, you know what, if people are bored of, of certain aspects of the schedule now, just wait until you face a shitty UConn team every year for five straight seasons. And then you'll start to say, hmm, maybe we should change this up a bit. Like SU is literally just letting the schedule be decided for them. And there's really no reason why these should be the only options left for what essentially is two years from now. Yeah, it's not ideal, um, especially because I don't think in this situation, it's going to come with like us saying, like, fine, we'll schedule UConn. We're going to take it two for one because that's not what we've done historically. We treat UConn like they're still our conference mate and we give them a one yeah. for one and go to Rensselaer Field way too often. Yeah, they, um, they're, they're Central Michigan now. So now they get a two for one. Yeah. Say you, let's A, let's get ahead of it. And B, if UConn is desperate for scheduling, let's say, okay, you're coming to the Dome twice and we will go there once. Or you're coming to the Dome twice and we'll play at Yankee Stadium for some reason. Like, thing is, though, how desperate even are they? Because really, they're not they're that desperate. Really, yeah. they, they forced themselves into a situation where they had to actually be uh, good about this and they've been good about it. Like, can we go hire a UConn scheduling person? Yeah, the next two years are done. 2022 needs one game. And, and like, their, their situation could have been super untenable. 
And right. like they're going to lose a bunch of games. And I don't like ultimately, I don't think independent football is going to work for them. But in terms of just the raw scheduling portion of it, they've done a pretty nice job. Like they've built out a, a, a relatively interesting schedule that for the, you know, 16,000 fans that care to go to the rent uh, at this point, like at least they're going to see some games that are vaguely interesting and yeah. they're complete. Like they're not scrambling for games like we are. Yeah, no, and, and, and to correct myself from earlier, um, I noted that I was looking at New Mexico State's schedule, unfortunately, not UConn's. Uh, UConn has next year done, actually, with some interesting games. Uh, Ole Miss is on there, North Carolina is on there, Illinois, Virginia, Indiana. Like, this is a good slate. Uh, 2021, uh, Purdue's on there, Army, Clemson, UCF. They'll probably want to add another name in there, but they might not be able to. Um, the 2022 season that I was referring to, uh, they've already got Utah State, NC State, Boston College, Army. They'll want another Power Five in there, at least one. Um, that's where we fit in, and I, I'd be at this point shocked if it wasn't us, um, just based on how this is going to work. Uh, following season, they're actually better off. Duke, NC State, Utah State, Boston College, Tennessee are all on there already. So I, I just and and I think in 2023 we don't necessarily need them either. Yeah, so 2023 we're actually good um so that would actually again fit perfectly to where then you go you skip ahead to the other years but again like why why is syracuse being put in a putting themselves in a situation excuse me where this is decided for them and like we're just going to end up with the perpetual yukon series um to fill out the schedule and like be happy with it when again yukon is able to out of thin air um come up with better non-conference slates um, more interesting and and more competitively like advantageous for them um, than than we're able to do, despite them needing to fill three times as many slots. It's just like it's just a will thing. Like you either are go go out and be proactive about it and reach out and figure stuff out. I think in part like Syracuse being a private school kind of reduces the pressure on them publicly because if and I know you for a fact if we were a public school and could easily get this information out, like with the situation that has been popping up uh, since, you know, Marone was choked since before that um, with a lot of the same administrators involved. Um, I know you'd be foying Syracuse pretty uh, aggressively. I'm trying because, to foy everybody else and yeah. to, to hardly any avail. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. So you have to circumvent it by trying to foy other people with regard to Syracuse, which is not, um you know an easy way to go about things and there's like you know there's there's less pressure it doesn't put any pressure on syracuse so you kind of got some shitty rules about it too where they won't they from what they told me they cannot share details of something that is not fine like not something not fine i forgot what the exact wording was but it it didn't confirm it was going to happen but it basically said if they're like until it's confirmed there's nothing they can say and i don't buy it that for one but for two that to me that tongue-in-cheek says that they're probably talking to them yeah i don't know what if they i mean if they weren't i think they'd probably just say we don't have any contact with syracuse at this time yeah i don't know if they just have like a stock response maybe they do. it's possible too at least it's not like georgia where georgia is like every every communication involving the georgia football program is like under lock and key by uh you know ordinance of the governor by, by royal decree yes uh, <laughs> the king of athens the 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 mighty Brian Kemp just has decided that Georgia football is uh, state secrets. Pure nonsense down there. This is also nonsense. Yeah, the fact that I, I I've been working to try to FOIA all of these state schools, um, 
around scheduling is also hot garbage. Um, definitely not a fan of that. Uh, but yeah, 2022, two spots. One of those is an FCS, so that's fine. Uh, FCS for 2023, all that's left. And then we have, I mean, 2022, the other problem is that we had Notre Dame and Purdue on there. I hate that. Um, for 2025, I'm assuming SU is just going to make the ACC call their bluff on 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 having army is the p5 despite the fact that the acc's never said that it counts something that we've been waiting for clarity on for like <laughs> years three or four years now <laughs> syracuse literally told me it counts i don't buy it for a second i i asked the acc i've asked three different people at, at the league offices and who have answered one question and then i followed up with this question and they have not answered me <laughs> It's it's like they don't want to tell Syracuse. It's like they're waiting for Syracuse to just not have that try to be the thing. Oh, 100%. I mean, I mean just look at like the Big Ten schedule, and you can see like Rutgers has been doing the same shit where like Rutgers suddenly, like Rutgers and Maryland suddenly like, oh, oh, sorry. You said we couldn't schedule FCS teams, but we already have Monmouth and Delaware on the schedule. So I guess we are scheduling FCS teams. I really love that Syracuse is going to wind up doing the but why don't you respect the troops' defense for their bad scheduling habits? <laughs> oh Christ! No, you're so right. This is that they're absolutely going to the troops. Quite literally, army counts because why don't you respect the troops? They're a, they're a power five. That, that's hundred percent. There wouldn't be a power five without the troops. They have so many national championships. They have multiple high school oh, winners. No. They are power conference as hell. Oh, no. Oh, no. Despite the fact they played in the MAC for a minute, CUSA actually, or, or which, is the mo- which is the exact, which is exactly the conference that you play. Yeah, USA. Who's who? Who's won more? Who's won more national titles of life than than the troops? When you think about it, <laughs> this is oh, this is going to get some hate mail. Yeah, we need uh, to probably cut it there. Cut that part there at least. <laughs> there if, you're, some- if, if you're not if you're not very online, you 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 don't find any of this funny. This is this is no disrespect to the Army football program, which has gotten they weren't no. that good this year. They're they've gotten to a pretty good place, and Jeff Mocken um, probably should have gotten more love for some of these jobs he was uh, rumored to be up for. Um, they probably shouldn't count as a Power Five program for scheduling purposes. Um, they do for the Big Ten. Yeah, which the Big Ten. As does are. UConn. Wait, does wait UConn does? Yes, UConn counts. Boise it's State UConn counts. Cincinnati now. counts. <laughs> the UConn militia. <laughs> <laughs> the boneyard. The boneyard brigade. This, oh, I'm in trouble for this. The Second Amendment defends our right to uh, field a football program in the state of Connecticut to defend our borders. <laughs> As a yeah, pragmatist, so I really know this so. <laughs> we're so screwed on this episode uh, <laughs> yeah getting back to our point um i don't know dan if, if it's not yukon for 2022 who would you pick uh what what are my options again uh you got middle tennessee okay i'd say that's a, i'd say that's a hard no after well after the traumas of 2017 yeah and hopefully Schaefer's not still there uh uab that that's a no from me they're too good yeah, they're too good. We don't need to be in Birmingham. Um, Army seems likely. Again. We already have them on the schedule, so like, I, yeah, I, not for twenty twenty two. So, I, what, what I think, what I think happens if we don't go with the UConn route is that we just tack Army onto the back, the front and back end of the four game slate we already have. That's not a bad option. Like, I think 
to do it. And that's a team that I will do a home and home for because I'm a true prospector. But like also, that's a good road trip. Um, right. That's not a bad option. Yeah, I agree. That would be my second. It would probably be like my second, my first choice in, in in head, but my second choice in terms of just like what's probably going to happen. Um, Kent State, uh, that's a no unless Sean Lewis is gone. I mean, I don't think he's going to be there. No, he's going to do another job. He's going to get like a, a Big Ten job or something, or like maybe a better group of five job soon. Like that, he's done a really incredible job there. Um, I think Minnesota will hire him if Fleck leaves. It's not I don't know where the hell Fleck would go. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like Fleck is in a weird spot. Um, not that he's done a great job. It's just like kind of a hard, it's a hard, it's hard to move up from there. Um, I think Kent State on paper is not a bad idea if you have to go there. Like at least you're going to Ohio where there's some players. Right. That makes sense. Uh, Coastal Carolina. I'm ideal, okay with that. Ideal, really. I, I just think we're going to get beaten to the punch by some of the other teams looking for opponents florida state miami and virginia are all uh are all out there looking for teams and i feel like they'll beat us to the punch there one of them will probably right like they'll have i mean it's always easier when you have like in-state relationships with public schools um like there's always like not pressure and that's oh sometimes there's pressure from like state officials uh but just in general like it just makes it very easy for them to communicate and set these things up totally uh troy that's a no um ul monroe is the hardest of no's no because i don't like if we end up with a home and home with you on ul monroe this is the most embarrassing thing that a p5 team has done since bc went to new mexico state i mean there was that time that uh did save and lost to ul monroe that was so long ago that was a different life college football was a different lifetime uh and then yeah. the last choice uh the the sentimental favorite for i think a lot of people but the one we should not pick um is unlv Mm, no. Go to play in a, in, in a quarter full uh, NFL stadium, um, but also be drunk off your ass the entire time. Yeah. Also, we'd probably lose because could you imagine like upstate New York kids or just kids that at least live in upstate New York for the time being going to Vegas and getting like a night like in a hotel know, near the strip? Do we know where opposing schools stay? When they Hopefully, play like- nowhere near the strip, but I feel like it's not really an option. Probably like the Hard Rock. Um, <laughs> Christ. And even that's close enough. I stayed there once. It, it, you can walk to the strip. Everything's uh, honestly everything in Las Vegas is close enough. Um, I, I assume there's like no hotels that are that far. Like no, like yeah, not yeah, put you have to put them in like Henderson. Yeah, I get an Airbnb. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. I can't wait for the first football team to get an Airbnb. Um, Airbnb babers is like the the video series they do. <laughs> more feasible for a basketball team. What? Uh, but either way, I, I look forward to that happening at some point out of like an emergency situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the short list, like uh, Army, Coastal, and Kent State are the obvious ones um, for like the like should win a uh, decent trip if you have to make it. And then for the, the two non-Army ones, at least some recruiting considerations. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's all fair. Um We'll have plenty more to talk about with scheduling soon. I have a bunch of articles coming out, including one about FCS teams here uh, on Thursday. So plenty of scheduling stuff. I'm excited about it. You should all be excited about it. Um, Dan, anything else before we depart today? No, I can't wait to explain uh, 
uh, internet jokes to people who are upset about the things we said about 10 minutes ago, even though we weren't making fun of the people they think we're making fun of. Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm putting that right in the, the description. <laughs> when we say something about respecting the troops, here is what we mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let us speak internet to you. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcasting. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone on spotify tune in stitcher plenty of other places where you can listen to podcasts and go orange go orange <laughs>